We've been talking about the people of the way. The people of the way, a series that it just looks at Jesus' lifestyle and the effect he had on his early followers and why they were referred to as the people of the way. Now, uh, in the beginning days, Christians weren't called Christians. In fact, they were first called Christians in Antioch, which is a city that was very multicultural and predominantly an outreach to non-Jews. Um, and they were referred to as Christians because in the context of them bringing Christ and preaching Christ and Him crucified, they were identified with the person that they were preaching about, which is Christ. They were little Christs, and they were referred to as that because their lives actually emulated the message and the testimony of the one that they represented. And so it was a similar idea um, as before that when they were really, um, they were really um, uh, identified by their, by their characteristic, by the way they lived out their faith, right? And so um, they were called people of the way because the way they lived were distinct from the Jewish culture of, of the time. Now think about this. The Jewish culture was super religious, okay? Super religious, super benevolent. Tried to be good, tried to do good. Trying to, to, to please God through way of, 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 of actions and, and sacrifices and, 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 and activities and, and you know, uh, ad- adherence to laws and rules and regulations. It was very, it was incredibly benevolent. And yet these Christians stood out. They stood out because there was something different about them and the way they lived that made them being called something different. People of the way. Okay. So um, again, just a, a couple of scripture verses to, to, to refer to that. In Acts 9 verse 2, um, uh, it says, He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. And so we know that Saul was um, persecuting the church and he, he actually tried to get the Jewish synagogues to participate in arresting Christians because um, they were considered blasphemous and they were considered you know, outlaws because of their way of living uh, that was different and the person that they exalted and, 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 and glorified and, and worshipped were not according to them a deity. Now, um, he says the followers of the way. So they were, they were like, oh, you know, there's more followers of the way, so let's go and arrest them. So they were actually able to be identified um, different from other people. In, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus really says here that when you start serving me, there's going to be a, a different path that you walk. It's going to be distinct. You're going to be, be able to be known for it. So let me ask you this question as we go in. Is there anything distinct about you from your culture that people will be able to say, that guy has to be a Christian? Now remember this. There are many religions. And every religion's objective is, for, is, to, is to create goodness, benevolence, in their people. Think about it. So it can't just be goodness or benevolence that becomes a, distingu- a distinguishable identifier. 
Because that's the goal of every religion, is to become better, to improve yourself. So just ponder on that for a little bit. So last week we spoke about that if we're going to be people of the way, that we have to be people of surrender. And we looked at just what that means as a lifestyle to surrender fully to the, to the authority and the lordship of Jesus and his kingdom. I remember making the statement that God can transform your life to the point that you actually submit yourself to his kingdom authority. Because wherever you take authority over your life and wherever your uh, way goes, there your outcomes are produced. But as, as much as you submit yourself to God's rule and ordinance, to that point, his way and will is able to produce his fruit and outcomes in your life. And so we are called to be surrendered people. The second message today, we're going to be talking about being people of the Spirit of God. Jesus' lifestyle was to be Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, and Spirit-empowered. I want to read a couple of scriptures for us to head into that. Luke 3, verse 21 and 22, it says this, One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. So Jesus' whole life, he lived in obedience to God's call. He was always doing about his father's business. The Holy Spirit was leading Jesus his whole life. And at this point, he leads Jesus to a place and a point where, according to his own words, he needed to fulfill all righteousness. He needed to show the way for us to walk in. And it led him to a place where he asked his cousin John, the baptizer, to baptize him. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to this place. And it says here, as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly beloved son. You bring me great joy. May each and every one of our children hear that from us. You are my beloved daughter. You bring me great joy. Now, I don't think we'll say it like this. Just say it like, you make my heart glad. You make me laugh. I love being in you. I love that you're here with us. You make my life amazing. But that's what Jesus heard from his father in that moment when the Holy Spirit descended on him and filled him. And the Bible says that he was led by the Spirit in Luke 4, a little bit on, full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus was filled by the Spirit after he got baptized. And then he was led further by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was going to be tempted. A little further in that same chapter, it says there, after all the temptation in the wilderness and Jesus being victorious over it, he returned to Galilee, filled the Holy Spirit's power. And reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. Why? We read that in Acts 10 verse 38. It says, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The word there for power in the Greek is the word dunamis. And this word is different from the authority and power we get as being sons of God, which is the Greek word exousia. This word literally speaks about acts of power. It's not just general authority and influence based on your position as a son of God. It is different. It is an effectual effect brought about by faith through 
the actions of a believer. There's a difference. And the Bible says here that he went about, um, um, sorry, he says, he went, God was anointing Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Not only is there for us, because of the being followers of the way, access to a, a disposition of authority and power, where we can stand boldly in our righteousness, but there is more than that. There is an ability to actually affect our circumstances, affect things around us powerfully by this dunamis power that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to every single believer. Because we see in the Bible that Jesus says through the Apostle Peter, sorry, he says that this blessing is for every single Christian who believes. Not only for the ones of that age, but for every age that might come. In other words, all those who might believe as a result of the works of the early believers. And that just rolls over generation after generation after generation until Jesus comes back. It's incredible that this power is made available to us as believers. And so we often speak about just our righteousness, right? I believe that in the word of righteousness, I believe that we do not have to know any longer look at ourselves as sinners because we have been cleansed and we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ and now stand recognized as the righteousness of God, the righteous of God. Not taking away the fact that we still make mistakes and we still sin, but our nature has intrinsically changed away from being a sinner that's separated from God to being a righteous person that has been reconciled with God. And I can stand in my righteousness and not be condemned by anything any longer because of that. That is part of, just a little bar, but it's part of being and walking in exousia, power, and boldness. There's more to that. We'll speak about that at another time. But when we come and be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in a different kind of power. And that's part of today's message, is looking into what that power is. You know, when you try to break up concrete, there's a couple of ways that you go about doing that, all right? Well, you can take up a sledgehammer, all right, and you can go and have at it, all right? And that's going to take you a lot of energy and a lot of effort. Then there's an even better way. You can take one of these pneumatic jackhammers, right, and that can get you a ways much faster and further, yeah? But you know what? There's an even more better way, even more better, right? <laughs> As you're getting to one of those mean cat, you know, um, whatever they call them. Um, where's Robert? Robert, what do you call those things that you work in? Excavators or something like that. And they have all these, all these hydraulic-powered arms and, and buckets and grapples and hooks and things. And you get and you just press the little button. Eh. And an incredible amount of power is made available at the other end of that arm to pick up huge, large slabs of, 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 of concrete. And it's absolutely no effort to you, except you have to know how to work those little thingamajiggies, right? Have you all seen those guys who, who, who take off a cap of a bottle 
with, the, with those controls. Incredible what they can do with that. But the bottom line is that there is, there is a power within that system that's called hydraulics. And you know what hydraulics make use of? Oil. Right? Oil and pressure. You know what's the Holy Spirit? A symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture? It's oil. It's oil. So when we become people of the Spirit, it's like we're stepping into a system of hydraulics where pressure is exponentially increased without our human effort. And that's the beauty of living a life that is led, filled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Corrie ten Boom said the following. Now, Corrie ten Boom lived um, from the 18, 1890s, runabout, till, till um, the 1980s. 1890s till 1980s, all right? More or less there. And she was an incredible evangelist. She spoke often about um, the power of the Holy Spirit, and God performed incredible miracles through this woman, right? Um, and she was just, she was just, not just, not just in, 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 in ministry work, but in social work. She, um, uh, she was a German uh, lady, but, but, but a Christian. And, 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 and she took in and hid Jews during Nazi uh, Germany's reign uh, and, and saved Jews from, 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 from the Germans, got arrested because of that and thrown in concentration camps, survived the concentration camps uh, because they were secretly holding church services in the concentration camps and um, afterward lived to tell the story of just how God had worked and performed miracles through their family. An incredibly influential person in evangelical Christianity. She said the following. She said, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Spirit, the ministry of Jesus just flows from you. I often wondered how Jesus could after he had just decided to retreat, right? He was tired, worked hard all day, retreated to a quiet place. Then he found crowds were there waiting for them. Just kind of geared down. And the Bible says he had compassion over them and he ministered to their needs. I often wondered how that could happen. But when you see that he was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you realize that that was maybe hard for his body, but he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to keep doing, keep doing, keep working, and keep ministering to people. There's something about living in the Holy Spirit that sustains you, that carries you, that if you don't know how to operate in that, you're out there in your life hacking away with your sledgehammer, trying to carve the way open. But God wants to say to you, hey, come on up here. Jump into this excavator here. I'll show you how to work the controls. And we're going to pave this place in no time. This is an invitation talk today. God wants each and every one of us to become people of the Spirit. Luke mentions the Holy Spirit 15 times in the book of Luke and 56 times in the book of Acts. In, 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 often in the church world, the Holy Spirit is, is, is semi like this, um, the unspoken, you know, person in the, in, in the Bible. It's like not denied in his existence, but pretty much after that, everything. 
I think that there's an emphasis in the New Testament to, to walking with the Holy Spirit. And we see that in the life of Jesus. And if the head of our, of our faith was led, filled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, definitely the rest of the body needs that in order to fulfill the lifestyle that he is leading us toward. You cannot live the Christian ideal without the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm switching to the handout. One, two. Um, it's not the. It's not for the, the sing. It's for the canned, canny, sound. It's distracting me even. All right, this sounds much better. All right, so I want to talk about three things that the Holy Spirit leads us to become. The first one is that it leads us to become like Jesus. A little bit like what we spoke about yesterday, but I want to talk about this because I think it's so important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit's first objective is for you to to not just become born again, but for you to start living a sanctified life to the point where your life looks and smells and and, and, and tells of Jesus. Just your, your normal life. Right? The way you treat people, the way you go about doing things, the way you, you shop, the way you pouring gas, the way you, you, know, you deal with business deals, the way you, you think about you know, um, uh, the, next, the next company that you're going to open. His goal is to make you become more like Jesus. And, 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 and here's the thing, for you to realize that you cannot really change yourself. Brian mentioned that, 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 that so often we hope to try and change our behavior, hoping that that'll work itself into, into our hearts. But in fact, the opposite is quite true. The heart has to change for behavior to stay sustainably different. You will never change your behavior or your actions or your activities and that sustain it by itself. You need more than willpower to live a Christian lifestyle. There's a power that has to come from the inside. That is, that is far greater than, than your ability to discipline yourself. Although that is a very, very important aspect of our walk. The Holy Spirit is the one that changes our hearts, changes our thinking, helps us to, to transform on the inside. When you transform on the inside, you no longer see yourself in the same way. You see yourself as intrinsically different. I have changed. It's like, you know, you used to wear, um, you used to wear bell-bottom jeans. And then at some point in life, you just went like, man, I can never do that again. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you, and you changed to, to a more cowboy style like jean or something. No, they, they, they were the ones who wore the bell-bottoms, right? No, no. Scratch that. No cowboys. Saints, I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm like <laughs> you changed to skinny jeans. Okay, and and <laughs> but what changed was an internal conviction. It wasn't you just going, "Oh, I need a, I need a, I need a different look or something." Somewhere inside you, something shifted away from how you used to think about yourself. Man, I'm not, I'm not that young anymore. I, I can't, you know, uh, I can't do that anymore. I need, to, I need to kind of fit in with where I'm at. I'm, I'm 50 now, for crying out loud. You know, I shouldn't be wearing these, you know, skinny jean things, <laughs> right? 
Is it now bell bottoms? You fill in the blank. I mean, we've got a group of really intellectual, uh, um, uh, intelligent people, is what I'm meant to say here. The fact is that once something on the inside of you shifts about you, external behavior starts changing. And the Holy Spirit's job is to bring that internal change of mind, change of conviction, that then leads to you thinking differently about yourself. When you start thinking differently about yourself, your habit thoughts become your actions. Your habit actions become who you are character-wise. But it has to start on the inside. You think of yourself differently. Like you used to go like, man, what, what, what's up with all these people going to church every Sunday? That's just weird, man. And then something on the inside of you shifts. I just love worshiping with people. I just love coming together and listening to a word being preached and thinking, how can I honor God in my lifestyle? And when you do that, you go like, man, I gotta get to, I gotta get to church. I gotta get to a life group. I gotta participate in the things because this is who I am now. I am a different person. I'm not doing this and hoping something will change. No, I am changed, and therefore I'm doing this. You see. And it's the Holy Spirit alone that can help you make those changes. When he says in his word, it's a, it's, it's, it's a transformation of your mind that brings about permanent change. That's not hard work and trying to change something like being in a gym where you're trying to change your body shape. No, no, this is something that happens up here. It's an internal conviction. You fundamentally view yourself differently, and that enables you to do different things that you wanted you, to, you used to do. And now, in fact, you find joy in doing those things. So I want to read this verse to you, but I needed to, to lead in with that so that we catch the heart of this verse. Galatians 5, verse 19 to 25. It's a longish piece, but I want to read it for you. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrels, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have done before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the leading of the Spirit in every part of our lives. Let us follow the leading of the Spirit in every part of our lives. The great thing about becoming like Christ is you start living out your your Christianity in every part of your life by being led by the Holy Spirit. That means that the way you teach your class is different all of a sudden. The way you treat your business partners are different all of a sudden. The way you treat people that transgress against you is different all of a sudden. It's amazing how the Bible talks about how to, how to handle people that are your enemies. And there is to be a difference between how we as Christians handle our perceived enemies than the way the world does it. I think that's probably one of the biggest ways, right? If somebody mistreats you, 
or somebody does something that is wrong in your eyes, how do you treat that person? That's going to be a good distinguish, distinguish identifier. What distinguishes you between a person that is not a person of the follower of the way? A person of the Spirit, people of the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit wants Jesus to be the saints of every part of our lives. Not just our spiritual part of our lives. In fact, the greatest disservice to Christianity was when people started making differentiation between your spiritual life and your so-called normal life. There is no such thing as normal and spiritual. God is spirit. To him, everything is normal. Even the greatest miracles to God is normal. Think about it. Raising somebody from the dead for God. It's not, it's not spectacular for him. It's just run-of-the-mill everyday things he does. He raises people from the dead. It's normal. Being, therefore, thinking, therefore, that we can distinguish between, no, at work I don't have to be a Christian. It's just fundamentally foreign to God. If you're a follower of the way, that way leads into every single area of your life. It just does. How you raise your children. Men, how you treat your wives. That's a distinguishable identifier. Is that different from the way normal, normal. Let me say rather, people in the world that are not believers, the way you treat your wife, is it different? Or is it just more or less the same? But you just pray every now and then for her. Students, the way you treat your teachers, the way you respect the classroom, the way you honor your parents. Can somebody see from the way you live toward your parents that there's something different about you? Or are you just more or less the same as everybody else, yet you come to church with your parents? Let me ask you this. When you move out of the house, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue coming? Are you going to serve Jesus on your own volition? On your own accord? Or are you just here because they're here? Let me tell you something. You're making decisions now whether you're even thinking that you're making decisions or not. In your mind, you're already considering things. I want to let you know that your decision that you make today, I'm talking to young people, the decisions you make today count. They count. And they will echo into the rest of your life. And sometimes by not making a decision, you're making a decision. So I'm appealing to you. Don't think that this is the adult's church. This is your church. Don't think it's your dad's faith. It's your faith. You respond to Jesus. You respond to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you have to respond because the greater father, your greater dad is calling you to something. And don't worry about your earth parents. If it might seem a little odd for them, you honor them by adhering to Jesus. You honor them most by following God. That's how you honor your parents, is by obeying God. Sometimes parents tell you to do things that are against God's will. And you, and you wrestling with that is actually good. And then remember, there's a difference between disobedience and disrespect. 
And you have to learn how to, how to honor your father and your mother. And at the same time, communicate with them. Dad, this is what I feel God is telling me to do. And yet, this is what I feel you're telling me to do. Am I misunderstanding this? And have a conversation. And parents, when your kids are having a crisis of faith like that, and they seem to think that what you're telling them to do is telling them to disobey God, that is a precious moment. Do not just thumb that down. That is an incredible opportunity. Sometimes for you to go and explain, or just, but also sometimes for you to maybe go like, Aish. I did not realize that in saying this, I'm actually causing my child to, to not do something that God wants him to do. And I believe that's a moment of humility. And the best thing you can do in that moment is not to try and overpower the situation, but actually just to say, you know what? You're right. Let's change this together. Let's partner up and let's be both obedient to God. Please forgive me for having an oversight here. There's nothing wrong with a parent admitting that he made a mistake to a child and asking the child for forgiveness. In fact, you are actually, you're actually preserving something so precious on the inside of that child's heart. You're preserving their conscience. Listen to me closely. Your children hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. They are being led by the Holy Spirit. They want to follow his way. Guide them in it. And when they feel something, don't just quash it. Investigate it. Unearth it. Help them to discern what their conscience is telling them. And when they are wrong, correct them. Nothing wrong with that either. But when you violate their conscience, that's why the Bible says, parents, don't be so hard on your kids that you violate their conscience. Because then they go, well, I thought the Holy Spirit said this to me, but obviously I was wrong. So next time they hear that, they go, nah, I, I'm not going to do that. And now you've actually taught them how to disregard the voice of God in their lives. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Let us be people of the Spirit. Let us guide our kids to learn and discern the Holy Spirit's voice. And don't immediately just think that they're being disrespectful or disobedient. Ask, why? Why is this situation here? And get to know, to learn, learn to, 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 to see their journey. And when they're wrong, bring correction. When they're right and you need to repent, do it. You will have such a close relationship with your child that you can never imagine you could have had. They will respect you and they will trust you. Why? Because you're echoing the voice of their heavenly father. Kids, I went out on a limb with this one. All right, so y'all, y'all, <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> Don't take this for granted. Your parents are living under the fear of the Lord, trying to raise you right. Okay? And so there's a way to dishonor them and disrespect them that I don't want you to walk in. And that's why you have to learn how to speak. Like, I talk with my kids. And they, they, they know to come to me and say, Dad, I don't agree with this. And they know how to do that respectfully. Sometimes they miss it. But that's where there's grace. I would rather them miss it and us have the conversation 
than them just going away, well, that must not have been the Holy Spirit telling me that. You get me? Come on, let's be people of the Spirit. By doing this, we're all learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that will distinguish our lives differently from what our world, what our culture around us just says naturally. The second thing that is so important is that the Holy Spirit's prerogative with you is to fill you to the point where you start overflowing into others. He wants you to tell people about Jesus. Me? Yes. All of us. All of us. And I believe evangelism is such a scary thing because the church have ignored the Holy Spirit. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit to the point of joy, peace, and, and love just overflowing out of you, evangelism is actually natural. Talking about Jesus is actually more natural and more, uh, <clears throat> more normal than the church actually thinks. But if the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, you know what happens to a bucket when you fill it and it starts overflowing? Everything around it gets wet. Right? What happens when you pour a glass of, 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 of water on the table and you don't stop? Right? Just imagine that little picture for a second. Okay? <laughs> we, had, we had something like this, but it was because the glass was knocked over. Different, different story. Almost same result, but different, different situation. You pour a glass of water in the table. And you, you're gunning it. And all of a sudden, the glass just overflows. What happens to everybody at the table? Come on, talk to me. Wow! <laughs> all right? It overflows. What happens? People are throwing napkins and, you know, everybody running to get more hand towels. Overflowing causes movement. Where some people might have been complacent, moaning about the food, you know. All of a sudden, it's, oh my goodness, it's water, everybody, help, help, help. Now you're causing movement, you're causing something to happen. You all sit down and have a laugh about it and hopefully <laughs> have a laugh about it. Because <laughs> we should realize it's not that serious. <laughs> right? Right? Preaching to myself here. Yeah? <laughs> it was juice, okay? <laughs> it's different. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I accept the I was, I was wrong. I, I accept the, the rebuke, yeah. Movement is good. God likes movement. He likes it when people start responding to his presence. And you know what that is? Water, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit starts flowing out of you and love and compassion and, you know, and, 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 and care and, and, and interest in people's lives and, and you're engaging people and you're telling them about your life and, you know, how God changed your life and how God helped you through difficult situations and you testify to them and say, hey, God wants the same for you. You're no different than me. I'm no different than you. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. All you need to do is put your faith in him. And he'll start the process. He'll start the journey with you. All of that is overflow. But if we don't allow the Holy Spirit, if we don't pursue the Holy Spirit, we often become so dry, we have only got enough left for ourselves. And we're out there just surviving. He wants us to be people of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, completely filled with the Spirit. 
<coughs> in Luke 4.18, it says, Jesus is speaking, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. And the beautiful thing is that when Jesus left the earth, he appointed his church to continue the work. And then he anointed them with the Holy Spirit. And he told them, don't you go away until the Holy Spirit has come on you. Because you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. God wants all of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that we will be witnesses for his goodness. And the great thing is that when you proclaim that people can be set free, how do you do it? How does it sound like? Well, it sounds like this. You know what? God can get you out of this situation. You know what? God can help you uh, out of this bankruptcy thing. You know what? God can help you out of this divorce issue. God can help you out of this. That's declaring to people that are being captivated by a situation that there is freedom available. But they have to become people of the Spirit. Allow Jesus in. That's how we declare to people that the captives can be set free. In our language. In our situations. You know, God can help you through that breakup. But how many of us have done that? How many of us have told people the, the beauty of, of responding to Jesus in that way? You hear somebody going through bad things. And all we can say is, mm, sorry, ne? <laughs> or we don't even say anything. We try to avoid issues. Filling with the Holy Spirit makes you run to issues. Why? Because you have a solution. You have a, you have a, you have a, you've got power to bring change. To bring movement. And then the last thing, when we are people of the Spirit, that's just so exciting, is that Jesus was empowered. He, he moved in the power of the Holy the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit that made him able to heal people, to cast out demons, to raise the dead. And you know what? He had proclaimed in Mark 16 that if those of us who believe in him will do these works that he has been doing and greater. And, and so... Every one of us are in fact invited into that place of power. To walk in that power. To be empowered by the Spirit. To pray over people and see change. To see the kingdom of God come. Jesus says, when, when I pray for you and, something in, and you are healed, the kingdom of God has come on you. Why? Because the kingdom has an order. The kingdom is not a religion. It's a, it's a government that has rules. And a constitution. And, and a culture. Think of it. We are ambassadors of what? Of the home kingdom. Of the home nation. And we are here to represent what? The values. The ordinances. The regulations. The rules. The protocols. The culture of heaven. That's what we're here to represent. And we walk here. Wherever we go. We have a consulate. As heaven's citizens, we're in the host nation, earth. And wherever the, we go, we have the kingdom of God around us as our property. 
Because when you step into the Canadian consulate, you're on Canadian what? Soil. And that's the church. We're here to take ground. We're here to, 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 to bring the kingdom of God. And how, how does that tangibly happen? Wherever the will of God is obeyed. That's where the kingdom manifests. That's where the kingdom of God is in operation. Because it's, it's that authority that is in control of a situation. And so the kingdom of God comes to your life first and foremost by you obeying the command that says you have to bow your knee to the king of kings and acknowledge him as your savior. That's the kingdom of God comes. And now the kingdom of God grows and it expands in your life. It takes authority over every part of your life, making you more like Jesus. Then the kingdom of God comes and it starts filling you on the inside, changing, transforming, and then starts overflowing so that you become a witness of what has happened. And the next thing is you start walking in the authority of this kingdom and you start saying that needs to change this needs to change by what by the power of the blood by the grace of God not my own why because I'm just merely representative the ambassador to, to, to Canada doesn't come to the United States and say hey I am Joe Soap and you will listen to what I'm saying no 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 all he says you don't even have to know his name I'm ambassador to the to, to Canada and here's our demands think about the world conflict right now how ambassadors are, 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 are tussling for, for authority and power. They're out there representing their home nation. But they've got the full backing. Think about the, the ambassador of the United States to Russia. Think about this. I don't know, has he been extracted yet or is he still there? Anybody know? But most of the time, even in war, ambassadors don't get extracted. Just, 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 just the first thing. Why? Because they're on American soil. It's sovereign soil. And the minute the host nation transgresses that agreement, what do you get? Daddy comes to town. The host nation comes and says, you have violated our sovereign um, uh, territory. Now you're going to face the consequences. Not of that little patch of property. <laughs> You get the full backing of heaven when you come and contend for the will of heaven on earth. So when you go out to pray over somebody that's sick, the full backing of heaven is coming and says, this has to stop. This has to stop. Let me brag on Miss Cindy. Y'all see Miss Cindy, but you don't know Miss Cindy. You know her face, but you don't know her ways. Let me tell you that woman is a woman of faith. And a woman walking in the dunamis power of God. Prayed over somebody over the phone. Told the lady, touch your arm. I'm touch my arm, my shoulder. She prayed over that shoulder. The lady on the other side of the line experiences a miracle. Her whole shoulder starts warming up and, like, like, and, and, and a healing takes place in her shoulder. Is that right, Miss Cindy? Oh, yeah, Miss Janice, still no pain. The glory of God is when the, the standard of God comes and impresses itself on the wet clay of earth and earthly situations. And, it, and earth conforms to it. The greater reality is the kingdom of God. And God wants to empower us with his, with his spirit power to bring the kingdom of God into every situation. 
That same verse, Luke 4.18, ends like this. That the blind will see and the oppressed set free. Talking about miracles that can happen. To see the kingdom of God. When you pray over somebody that's going through hell. And you see heaven manifest in their lives. Peace return to them. When you can proclaim that God is going to help you with this situation. It's going to be okay. You're doing it not because you are anybody. You're doing it because you've got the backing of heaven as a rep of the kingdom of God on earth, declaring God's will over the situation. What does that happen? Peace comes. Joy comes. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not in what we do. It's not in eating and drinking. It's in righteousness. It's in peace. And it's in joy. The joy of the Holy Spirit. So when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're empowered to effect the authority of heaven over a situation. That is the desire of the Holy Spirit for every single human Christian. In fact, human being. Some that has to get saved first. When you start acting in this power, you start seeing people's lives change around you for the glory of God. And the beauty of, 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 of being an ambassador is that, you know what? It's nothing about you. <laughs> it's really nothing about you. It's actually everything about the authority that was placed in you, on you, by your home country. So sometimes we think of ourselves, man, I'm not good enough for this. See, that's where you have to understand the kingdom of God is not in things that we do. It's not in how good we are. It's based on our righteousness, first and foremost. The fact that we have been set free and cleansed of our sin and the consequences of our disobedience. Righteousness. That's the standard. That's the standard. And then the rest of the kingdom of God, peace and joy, comes into effect. So how do I start? Becoming a person of the Spirit. Here's the great news. You've already started. Because why? Because He led you here today. Right? Each and every one of you woke up with a decision to come to church this t- today. Just realize that the Holy Spirit was there motivating you. You might not... Now, the Holy Spirit might have sounded like your wife. <laughs> or your husband, or even your children. Come on now. But he will use any agent of his, okay, (laughs) to get his message across. But do not mistake the fact that it was the Holy Spirit that encouraged you to come today. That it was the Holy Spirit who led you here today. So you have forward momentum. That's good for you. You're moving towards the direction of God. The second thing is to ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. It's often referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was a moment where Jesus told His disciples, don't leave town yet. Don't leave town yet. You will be my witnesses, but wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. And you know what was amazing? They obeyed. They stayed. And they waited. You think about this. The fate of the whole world was on their shoulders. 
They didn't go into a strategy session. They didn't go, okay, how are we going to do this church planning thing? Who's going to take which city? No, all they went in was waiting and praying and worshiping in unity and trusting and obeying and being led by the Spirit. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came on them. And it overflowed into them witnessing, telling everybody around them about Jesus. And then the Bible says that God confirmed their message with miracles. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we're going to take some time today to pray over people who want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know you've been thinking about it. You know you've been asking questions about it. Holy Spirit is inviting you to come and experience it, to receive this gift. The Bible says this gift was for you, for your children, and for your children's children, and all whom the Lord your God may call. All whom the Lord our God may call. Did He call you? He certainly led you here. He certainly did call you. This gift is for everybody, for all ages. So let's all stand today. And I want to ask Mr. Paul to just continue ministering on the, on the keys. We're going to take the next 10 minutes or so. And I want you to not just leave, not leave just yet. Okay, we're going we're gonna to be in front here. We're going to pray over people. And will you, will you sit there? If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, Please pray in the Spirit over the people that are in front. You're trusting God to receive it, to receive Him. If you've been in a place where you've kind of, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but you never really pressed in and really, really engaged it, why don't you just stand there and, and close your eyes and, and make time to connect back with God and to ask Him to continue to fill you. The Bible says that He's not just a one-time deal. He's a continuously infilling Spirit. That it wants to continuously fill you, to overflow. How many of you know that when we spend, we empty? We fill up again in His presence and we overflow again. So stand where, where you are and you just trust God for that. And if you feel that maybe you're starting to see God drawing your attention to somebody or you have a, you have a thought about somebody that's in the room and you feel God has a message for them, I want you to step out. And just go and share that with that person. Can we try these three things? For those of you who want to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time, I want to ask you to come and join me in front here. Right now. You know, you've been wanting to step out in that for a little bit. Just don't know where to start. Today is one of those moments. Okay? And then the second is you're going to stand there and you're going to trust God for continuous infilling. And the third is... You're going to trust God to minister through you, even if you have to pray over people or something. But we're going to stretch ourselves a little here today. Amen? All right, let's all close our eyes to start. Holy Spirit, I pray as you invite people forward that their hearts will lit up, light up, Lord God. Light up with the excitement and the joy of encountering your Spirit and being filled to overflowing God. We're here, Holy Spirit. 